Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From sunny and hot San Antonio, Texas, I'm your host, Patty Porter. We want to thank the artists, Three Feet Up, for the use of their song, Untie Your Head. You can find them at Podsafe Music Network. So the Texas Conflict Coach, we are a division of Conflict Connections based in San Antonio, Texas. And the purpose of our show is to provide consumer education and conversation to help reflect, build self-awareness, practice skills, and learn about resources and tools to manage conflict effectively in your everyday lives. We will look at all types of conflict from issues in the workplace, family conflict, elder and adult care conflict, disputes in the schools, neighborhoods, communities, churches, etc. Now, we can be found at two different websites. We can be found at www.texasconflictcoach.com or www conflict connections that's an s on the end of connections.com i just had a great conversation earlier this afternoon with angie woodrow on her blog talk radio show parent driven schools regarding parents and school conflicts i encourage you to go back and listen to the on-demand show today especially if you're interested in the topic of school conflict now we do invite our listeners today to call in at 347 324-3591 with questions or comments. And again, that number is 347-324-3591. And just to indicate by pressing the uh, pound key and number one that you would like to join the conversation. For our Blog Talk Radio registered users, the chat room is open, and you can pose your questions or comments there as well. I'd like to actually open the show today with a poem that I really love and that I connect with. It's actually a poem called Connections by Dr. Dudley Weeks. And it comes from the, his poem book called So Far to Go When We Get There. So here's the poem, Connections. We are connected one to the other by needs and hopes that transcend infant groupings so recently spawned by divisive minds in this human cradle from which we've still not emerged with gentle strength. So we reach for dominance and reach for advantage to feel we deserve a higher place than someone else. But we are connected one to the other with more in common than, what, than when we want to see. For you need me And I need you, connected as we are in this cradle bed. The same umbilical feeds us all. When you draw breath, my lungs expand. 
when I fall down, your body aches. We are connected, the one to the whole, woven as art in search of a frame. Yet we seem to dwell on the torn interruptions, ignoring the truth that we are connected. I love this poem. I actually had the opportunity to meet Dr. Weeks um, several years ago when I was still living in Delaware. He's actually uh, lives in Western Virginia at this point. And I got to meet Dr. Weeks uh, from his work in conflict partnerships. And in fact, the focus of our show today is going to be examining his book, The Eight Essential Steps to Conflict Resolution. Now, Dudley, as we all refer to and are commonly known, that he's commonly known, has worked with conflicting parties in more than 60 countries and has counseled thousands of families, businesses, and communities in the United States, very well known for his international peace work. Uh, he's a two-time Nobel Peace Prize nominee, and so I was very, very blessed to have gotten to know him and to work with him. Um, his poem is actually found on our website, and you can connect to Dudley Weeks his website through uh, www.conflictconnections.com. And the reason I connect to this poem so much is because really when we are in conflict, especially in long-term relationships, the thing is is that we are still connected. Even if we're trying to win or, you know, trying to, you know, win our point of view, the, the deal is is that when I'm hurting, you're hurting. When the other person's fallen down, it's still going to have an impact on me. So let's look at what he considers in his book, The Eight Essential Steps to Conflict Resolution, and that's on the show page if you're uh, interested in getting the book. Uh, and again, if you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to let me know um, by uh, waving your hand, if you will, on the caller board or if you're on the chat room. Feel free to write your question or comment there as well. So let's start with how he, Dr. Weeks, views conflict. We've talked a little bit about this on the show before. It's, it's having a new view of conflict. In other words, how do we perceive conflict? We've talked about conflict being seen as a negative point of view. And there are four areas that he really looked at. He said what we need to do when we look at conflict in a new way is instead of seeing conflict as a disruption, a negative experience, or a mistake in a relationship, how can we perceive conflict as being an outgrowth of diversity? that might hold possibilities and opportunities for improving our relationship. Another negative perception is often conflict is seen as a battle between an incompatible self-interest or desires. Instead of, why don't we look at perceived conflict as one as part of a relationship, a part that actually involves needs or values, perceptions, goals, feelings, and so on. So not just focused on our interests and desires solely, but those other things that make a part of the relationship. So really looking at how do we preserve that relationship, how do we improve it. And another negative view of conflict that often people look at is that it's usually an isolated event that we allow to define the entire relationship. And I remember uh, Dudley at one point, he drew a circle on a chalkboard at the time, and he put this little, little dot in the circle, and actually he wrote several little dots in the circle, and he said, now oftentimes what happens, the circle is the relationship, the person. And he says, you know, a conflict occurs and we tend to then want to label that person as, let's say, the jerk. All right, so we have one encounter, one isolated incident that's conflict, and now this person's the jerk. And so what we're saying is, is that instead of 
looking at that way to perceive conflict as occurrences that punctuate a long-term relationship. And actually it helps clarify, instead of coloring that person and labeling that person the jerk, um, the idiot, the, you know, uh, the troublemaker, that we look at that isolated incident in a very, uh, in a very separate way, in a way that doesn't define the whole personality. We just look at it in a way that hopefully can clarify our long-term relationship. And finally, often conflict is perceived as a struggle between right and wrong, good and evil. Instead of, why don't we look at conflict as a confrontation between differences uh, in certain aspects of our relationships uh, and not to, um, not to the exclusion of other aspects that are still there to build on. So one thing is transforming how we begin to look at conflict. Now, a lot of his book and the work that he does is based on the conflict partnership. And for him, the conflict partnership is about resolving conflicts that are effective and sustainable and that focuses both on the immediate conflict but the overall relationship, whether that's the relationship with your neighbor, the relationship with your spouse, uh, maybe it's the relationship of you know, someone that's a coffee house that you frequent all the time. So we're talking about what is the kind of relationship that we're talking uh, overall that we're wanting to sustain. So talking about conflict partnership, then let's look at what are the ingredients of conflict because this is really critical, actually. When we're problem-solving, when we're managing conflict, when we're not trying to avoid it and we're trying to be effective with it, we need to understand what are some of the actual ingredients and really focus on what those ingredients are. Now, in, uh, there's going to be uh, several, actually there are seven um, ingredients of conflict that uh, Dudley refers to. And the first one is around diversity and differences. Now, diversity, oftentimes when I'm talking with people about conflict, it's, it's like there's a difference of opinion. There's a, we have diverse viewpoints, um, different ideas, different alternatives, ways of doing things. And oftentimes people are like, well, you know, we, we've got to you know, not have our differences to have conflict, but we would beg the opposite. We would beg that differences, we want to embrace those differences because that through that conflict, through that conversation of understanding the diverse viewpoints and the differences of opinion, then hopefully we're going to actually grow and change in a very productive and maybe even in a better way by embracing that. So really, diversity can open up possibilities. They challenge us to consider alternatives, and it keeps us from allowing ourselves to be stagnant. So how do we you know, embrace and celebrate the diversity and differences? Differences can be not only of perception, uh, but it can be of differences of our values, our belief systems. Uh, it could be differences in our needs. It could be differences in our goals, even. Uh, and also of power, and we are going to talk about power as one of the ingredients to conflict. Another one uh, that is an ingredient to conflict is needs versus wants. Now, very traditionally in the field of conflict resolution, we talk about needs versus wants. Usually when someone is in a conflict, they're usually saying something like, well, I want a salary increase. I want him to leave me alone. I want him to not be a jerk. And what we're ultimately saying is, what is it that you really need from this relationship, or what is it that you really need? So we're looking at below the surface. We're digging a little bit deeper to say, what I really need is for him to listen to me. What I really need is to be recognized and appreciated. What I really need 
And so what we're trying to do is dig a little bit deeper and also to clarify what is really the want versus what is the need. Now, needs are often conditions that we perceive we cannot do without or that we believe are critical to the well-being and development of a relationship. And so oftentimes when we feel our needs, recognition, appreciation, love, encouragement, being listened to, heard, and understood, all of those are some really basic core needs. And if we feel those are being compromised or we feel those needs are being ignored by the other person uh, or the needs of the relationship, then conflicts often will arise. So understanding not only what my own need is in the conflict, but also what is the other person's need and trying to understand that. Now, you can have shared needs and you can have needs that are opposite of each other. And sometimes that's really having a good conversation about what those shared needs are. And sometimes they're compatible and sometimes they're incompatible. Now, another ingredient to conflict is perceptions. We all hear about that. Uh, and In fact, I'm even going to share a story today when we get into the steps itself about a neighbor conflict that I just um, was involved in. It wasn't too, um, too intense, but uh, it was very interesting about perceptions. And perceptions is, you know, oftentimes conflict is a direct result of perceptions and misperceptions. And, of course, a lot of times, you know, I, you know, if I'm perceiving a situation one way, I believe that to be my truth and my reality, as the other person believes that their perception is their truth and reality. And the fact about it is is that sometimes we have to have conversations to understand from the other person's point of view what is their perception of the situation. And the neighbor conflict I'm going to talk about is <laughs> was very interesting different perceptions. Now, um, we also, I'm going to come back to, well, actually, we're going to talk a little bit about power now. So power is actually an essential ingredient of conflict. And this is one of the highlights I really liked about uh, this book, is he really goes into talking about the power principle and, you know, how we define power and how we use it greatly influences the number and the nature of conflicts within our relationships and the way we deal with those conflicts. And Dudley actually defines power as the capacity to act effectively and the ability to influence. Um, and un unfortunately, a lot of people behave as though they see power as the ability to make others behave as they want them to, to exert control or to gain advantage over someone. And one of the concepts that, um, that Dudley really talks about is, is, is moving from the negative power, which is power over someone, we dangle our power over someone, whether that's we're in a supervisory role or we feel, you know, maybe we're in a parental role and we feel we got power over someone and so we're going to manipulate, we're going to use that power to get what we need, what our advantage is. And what he says in a conflict partnership is how do we do it in a po using positive power, the power with someone, the power to really mutually benefit from the conflict and to uh, empower and build a relationship. We'll talk a little bit more about power as we go on. Another ingredient is the values and principles. Very, very common. I mean, a value is something we consider to be of significant importance, such as the value of being honest, of uh, being trustworthy, uh, of being able to be respectful. Um, you know, and values are very, um, people feel very strongly about their values and their belief systems. 
It could involve a belief or a principle or even a pattern of behavior we've come to perceive as extremely worthwhile. And if we feel someone has compromised our values, you might often hear them as, you know, well, you should do this. Or you know you shouldn't you know um, you, you shouldn't lie tell white lies or you know so when we hear a lot of that conversation or if we hear a lot of shoulds coming out of our mouth um, then we need to be careful because what we're doing is we're imposing our values our beliefs or principles on someone else who might not share that same value belief or principle and so therefore it can definitely cause a conflict now a lot of times values conflict principles conflict are oftentimes conflicts that might not necessarily be resolved, but it's one in which we need to manage. And a perfect example of a values conflict, uh, very typical in the community, is abortion. You know, the the value of or the principle of I either believe in, in ha women having the free right and the free choice to have an abortion or not. Uh, and so this conversation today is not about abortion, but it's about the values and the principles that someone has about abortion. And so is that going to change my mind if I have a very strong view about abortion and you have the opposite view? Are you going to necessarily change my mind or the other? Probably not, whatever those views are. The thing about it is, is if it's going to cause conflict, and we see these things pop up in the workplace, in our churches, in our communities, if we know that that's going to be a conflict, then we're going to have to learn how to manage and still honor those differences between each other, but manage it in a way that we are not destructive in our relationships to each other. So that often comes up, and of course you probably hear it in politics all the time as well. Another ingredient is our feelings and emotions. Now, obviously, you'll either see people in conflict totally shut down and ignore their emotions and feelings and hide them and hold them in and ignore them. Or you see people go to the other extreme and that they are very expressive about their emotions and feelings. And in fact, their emotions and feelings are what dictate how they deal with the conflict. Both extremes can actually be very destructive and ineffective. Uh, we talked a little bit about that a couple of shows ago with being conflict competent that when we're in a conflict situation, are we approaching the conflict from an emotional standpoint, which can often be very escalate very quickly, um, or are we dealing with from, uh, the conflict from a more cognitive approach? Are we thinking about it? Are we thinking about the problem, trying to resolve it in a way that looks at all the needs of the parties? Um, now, it's not to say you can't express emotion. We're not saying that at all. It's very healthy to express emotion and feeling. But if we're using that to actually draw us and move us in the direction of how we resolve conflict, then our emotions can get in the way. Uh, and so those feelings and emotions have a big uh, impact in how we might be dealing with conflict. And then finally, the last ingredient that is often um, an ingredient to conflict is our own internal conflict. Um, and when we talk about internal conflict, we're talking about when we ourselves are not sure what our own values are, where maybe we're unclear, we're not sure what type of relationship we want with the other person, um, or maybe we have uh, diverse internal voices ourselves urging us to respond in various ways. We're, we're unclear, uh, which oftentimes can be very inconsistent messages that we're given to the other person and can be very confusing. Um, so those are the primary ingredients, and knowing what those ingredients are when we start to really break down a conflict, you know, especially a serious one, 
we have to really analyze for ourselves first, what is this really about for me? Is this really a, a difference of needs? Is this uh, a combination of perceptions, uh, and, and so we need to have a conversation? Uh, or is this really about a values conflict? Or it could be a combination of a variety of things. So we really need to understand what are the key ingredients in the conflict we might be dealing with at the time. So in using those agreements, um, we're going to talk about the eight essential steps that he has outlined. And what I notice about his steps is that it's very similar to many other models of problem solving that you might see out there. There's many, many, many books on conflict resolution, mediation, conflict management that are out there to help you, give you the skills and understanding if you're wanting to uh, resolve conflict in a very constructive way. So let me just tell you about the neighbor conflict, because as we go through the steps, I'll talk to you a little bit about uh, how, we, how we got there and how it was resolved. So in the process, I uh, actually just finished um, working with all the neighbors, have several, several neighbors that border our uh, home uh, on sharing a fence, right? That's a very common thing. Got a 16-year-old fence. Okay, it's, it's falling apart. You practically touch it. It falls, you know, it's like dust in the wind. And the thing about it is we're like, okay, we've got a lot of fence to replace. Can we work with our neighbors to, you know, share in the cost of this? So, um, so we were like, okay, so let's play this right. Let's get, you know, we're going to get three bids. We're going to, you know, uh, share it with all our neighbors. We're going to, you know, be organized about it. We're going to say this is what we're trying to do. Are you interested? And actually that all went really, really well. We got a lot of information. We wrote it down in writing. Every, every single person was on board, even one of the renters um, who worked with the owner to replace their section of the fence. Everything worked out beautifully. So, But what happened is one of the neighbors that shared a big part of the fence with us um, basically had a different look to their fence. So their perception is very different. And part of our fence had actually been replaced by a prior owner about three years ago, so it was actually very pretty new, only four years old. And uh, it was all cedar, and it looked, and from our perspective, um, the three- or four-year part of the fence that was cedar had been sealed, so it all looked the same color. It was yellow, that yellow color that you see on cedar. So when they replaced the, all the other 16-year-old fence, it all looked the same to us. So the last day that the contractors were here, I get a call from the neighbor, and the neighbor goes, well, there's a four-foot section of fence that hasn't been replaced, and it's all old and gray. And we're like, old and gray? What, what is he talking about, you know? And I look out the back window, and I'm like, it's all new. It's all new. It all looks the same, you know? And he's like, no, there's a four-foot fence that we share that hasn't been replaced, and I thought we were getting a whole new fence. And I thought, well, yeah, okay, so let me call you back, and and so, you know, the fence contractor was out there. We went out there, and it was just like, well, I don't see what he's seeing. He's seeing something different than I am because it all looks new to me. And so when we, we realized that the four-year-old fence on our side and his side, too, had been sealed and so looked new, but on their side had never been sealed. So it was gray and old and flaking. And so all of a sudden, from his perspective, he sees most of the fence is all yellow and new, and all of a sudden he's got this four-foot section of the back of this fence that's all gray, old, and looks like it's you know 16 years old, like the rest of the other fences. So we were like, oh, okay, well we didn't know that, we didn't see that. 
And so part of it was that perception. So then it was just like, well, that wasn't figured into the bid. Now we're going to have to, if we're going to replace that four-foot section for him, then that's going to be additional money. And so we're thinking, okay. So then that started some of the conflict around, you know, he's thinking, oh, well, this proposal was the whole fence, and we're like, no, it's not. And so it kind of went back and forth in our conversation. So I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to come back to that and apply the eight steps that um, that Dudley talks about. So the first step he talks about is creating an effective atmosphere. So in other words, if I know I'm going to have a conversation with someone that is a potential conflict or a difficult or sensitive conversation, then I want to look at things like, you know, what, I'm, what am I going to say to this neighbor? How am I going to have this conversation? I need to look at the timing. You know, do I need to think about the location? Can I do this by phone? Do I need to go in person? You know, what is my initial statement going to be? Uh, I want to make sure that I'm not attacking, that I'm not blaming. I want to make sure that I'm taking accountability because obviously the miscommunication was on my part initially uh, in how I was doing that. So I'm having this, creating this atmosphere of I need him to listen. I need to, I need to be able to listen to him. And so how do I create this tone at the very beginning that we can have an effective conversation? And so I had all those things I was already thinking about. How do I have this conversation with him? And what? And part of that conversation is I need to clarify perceptions. So that's the second step is clarifying perceptions. So part of clarifying perceptions is, you know, having him understand my perspective, okay, and then second, having me clarifying his perspective. So obviously as we started to talk, you know, and, and then I went out and looked, I realized, oh, my gosh, of course he's upset. He thinks he's getting a whole back fence, and he's got this four-foot, ugly, old, what he thinks, even though it's only four years old, looks like an old thing. Nothing looks consistent. If he's going to get this new fence and he's going to, you know, stain it and seal it and stuff, then it makes sense that he wants everything to look the same and look new. So very different perception. And then, of course, I took the time to clarify what had happened from my perspective and how I was, you know, obviously I didn't see that, and I made some assumptions. I made some assumptions that he wouldn't want to get that done since it was really good shape. It was only four years old. And so, and it was in my recollection. I thought I had said something to him, but I couldn't remember. But that didn't really matter. It didn't really matter who was right or wrong about, you know, the conversation in the past. It was, where are we now? So now, you know, it's not that we have an issue about perceptions. We're clear now about what happened. But now it's like, okay, now there's a need here, which is the third step, focusing on the individual and shared needs. So this is the uh, the, the part that is important. Um, the thing about it is, is that his need was to have the rest of the fence new. Okay, I mean, that's what he expected. That's what he understood, and it's going to affect the rest of the look of his yard and things of that nature, that makes sense. And I'm thinking, okay, no problem, we can do that. Um, but my need was for him to also share in the cost of that. And so that's where some of the conflict came in because he wasn't willing, uh, at least uh, at this point, was not willing to pay additional money to um, to pay for that because he felt that was part of the original agreement. So I felt there was a little bit of inflexibility around that. Um, so we just said, you know what, we're going to get it replaced, let's move on, and let's let's talk about it again. And so uh, because supplies, you know, they had to get more supplies and whatnot, they came back two or three days later. 
they finished the fence. And in actuality, that, that worked to our advantage because part of that fence really needed a little bit more work anyway. Now, the shared power is the fourth step, building shared positive power. What in the world does that mean? And I think it's really important to talk a little bit from uh, Dudley's perspective about this power again. So oftentimes when people perceive the use of power, they use it as a means of controlling or manipulating someone else. Usually power is seen as a dirty word. And people choose how they use power and whether they allow it to corrupt. I mean, we can use power negatively or positively. And a conflict partnership, it employs positive power to deal with conflicts effectively and to improve relationships. So the conflict partnership is an active, creative, persevering, powerful process. So we want to make sure that power consists of the attitudes, perceptions, beliefs, and behaviors that give people in the groups the ability to act or perform effectively. Now, he does talk a little bit about negative power uh, so that we understand what positive power is. Let's just clarify what negative power is. So negative power has four major characteristics, uh, as he mentions here. First, it attempts to disempower the other party in an attempt to increase one's own advantage. And folks, for those who are listening, uh, this show is going a little bit longer than 30 minutes. Um, so I hope that uh, come back on the on-demand show and you'll hear the rest. But uh, we're just going to continue on here. Um, the second part of characteristic of a negative power is it focuses on the specific attempts to gain advantage over the other party. And the third is it focuses on the power over rather than the power is relationship. Fourth, it uses what uh, he calls the seesaw power. And the seesaw power is actually one of the most damaging aspects of negative, negative power. It's like someone being on a seesaw. One person's up, one person's down. And so when people use seesaw power in relationships, it means that one party believes their power is in part derived from making the other party weak or at least lessening its power. So that's how he refers to as negative power. Now, positive power seeks to promote the constructive capabilities of all parties involved in a conflict. So it energizes a power with process rather than a power over. It avoids the seesaw power. It's the misguided perception that weakening the conflict partner will somehow strengthen one's own power. So really it's, so really it's about uh, how do we use this power? How do we people use positive power they work to help their relationship or conflict partners become positively powerful, too, because we need each other. If we're going to resolve the conflict like, like with the fence, then I actually need him because, you know what, I still need that money that he was originally committed to paying to help offset the cost. So there's a lot of reasons why I need him, but not just for the money. Really, it's a long-term relationship. You know, We've been neighbors for at least three years. Who knows? We might be neighbors for many, many more years to come. So for me preserving and building that relationship, a very non-conflictual relationship, and even if there is conflict, that we manage that in a very productive way. Um, we certainly don't want to get in this position where we're the, you know, the, the neighboring feud. Um, so it's very important that I'm using that build shared positive power in one of those steps. The fifth step is looking to the future, then learning from the past. And Oftentimes when we get into conflict conversation, we tend to get mired in the past. It's so hard to get beyond the past, get beyond the baggage, 
and it's hard to let go. And, and, uh, and oftentimes we need to be present and looking into the future. What can we learn from the past so that we can move more effectively into the future? And for some people that's extremely difficult to let go of the past for many, many reasons. But if the, if the option is, is how do we move on, even in what might seem like irreconcilable differences, if you're parents and you're getting a divorce and you have children and you have irreconcilable differences, you still need to learn how to manage and work with each other through conflict because of the needs of your children. All right? So we cannot keep dragging up the past in order to, because otherwise we're not going to have an effective future moving in. So we need to learn from the past, but we need to absolutely look to the future. And so when I was dealing with um, my neighbor, I had to really think about, now we don't have a long past history, and we certainly don't have a conflictual history, but I certainly didn't want this to be the, um, you know, the, uh, the, the glorious event that turned our relationship into a bad neighboring relationship. So I really wanted to learn from my own mistakes and miscommunication, but also learn from, okay, please try to understand where I came from and let's see if we can work together in a l little bit more flexible way, uh, which he was, he was willing to, to do after the initial conversations. So then number six step is generate options. So, so far we've talked about step one, creating an effective atmosphere. That's the preparation thinking about how we're going to have that conversation. Step two is clarifying our perceptions. That's having a conversation, asking questions, understanding from each perspective. Three, focusing what our individual and shared needs are. Step four, build shared positive power. Step five, look to the future, then learn from the past. Number six, generate options. Not just your own options that work just for you, but looking and listening to what other options are going to meet the needs of both parties. And so, you know, we just throw out ideas and try not to criticize them. Now, step seven is develop doables, what he calls stepping stones to action. And when we talk about doables and, and in, the, in the field of uh, people who mediate and whatnot, we're also looking at are these doables, are these action steps, these stepping stones, ones that are realistic, ones that are sustainable in the long term, not just in the immediate moment, but is the resolution something that you can actually commit and follow to? And then finally, the last step is make mutual benefit, mutual benefit agreement. So it's one thing to develop doables, but then to actually really solidify the agreement. Now that can be verbal, that can be in writing, um, but you want to make sure that your actual agreements are specific. In fact, we often use to, uh, is called the SMART uh, acronym, but that your agreements are specific, you know, the who, what, where, how, why, that they're measurable, that they're attainable, you know, are you committed to doing it, is it attainable, is it realistic, and also, is it timely, all right? So if we've agreed to do something and someone says, okay, we'll you know, take care of it in 24 hours, is that realistic, is that timely? Um, so looking at all those elements are very, very important. Now, going back to the doables, um, there was a couple of highlights that he said. What is a doable? A doable is an action that embodies the following. It stands a good chance of being accomplished. It does not favor one party at the expense of the other. It usually requires the participation of all parties involved in the conflict in order to be implemented successfully. It meets one or more shared needs. 
it meets one or more individual needs that are not incompatible with another party's individual needs. It uses positive power of the conflict partners. It also especially helps to build trust, momentum, and confidence. And it adds another stepping stone along the pathway to improving the overall relationship. Uh, so those are examples of doables when we're thinking about how we move forward uh, and not just a quick fix. So in the case of the neighborhood conflict, um, we actually were able to resolve that. We were able to actually have an honest conversation. It was really important to him that he wasn't seen uh, as a jerk, that he was seen as a really, you know, a, a neighbor that was nice, that was trying to under, you know, trying to let me know what his concerns were. He didn't want to be seen as someone who was trying to be a troublemaker. So that was important to him that he wasn't seen in that way. And so we had a really good conversation about that, and everything actually got worked out very well. And we have a really nice fence now. <laughs> so anyways, those are the eight, um, the eight essential steps to conflict resolution. And, of course, it's in the book. It's outlined in full. It's a great book, a great starter book um, to really getting your hands and grasp on really managing conflict and becoming conflict competent. We've talked about that. So listeners, we're going to continue to challenge you and give you opportunities to stretch yourself. As I mentioned from time to time, I'm going to give you fieldwork assignments that will support your self-awareness in managing conflict. And I think the first thing that I would really like you to work on is consider an upcoming difficult conversation that you know you need to have, whether that's with your teenage kid, your spouse, uh, maybe it's a boss, a coworker, someone in your church, or maybe it's your neighbor. But a conversation that you know you need to have but maybe you've been putting off because you just don't want to, you know, approach the conflict or approach the conversation. And before you just, you know, boom, you're in the, you know, you run into this person in the hallway or you want to be prepared about it. So your your homework assignment is to create that effective atmosphere. What is the conversation you need to have? Are you clear about what your needs are? And really try to anticipate what their needs might be. What is the timing? How do you have that conversation? Do you send an email and say, I need to have a conversation with you about X. What's a good time for you? Or I'd like to meet with you face-to-face. -face. I think it's really important. When do you have time that we can have that conversation? So that way they're not blindsided. They're prepared. They're ready to have the conversation. And think about how am I going to start the conversation instead of just, you know, packing right on to say, I really need to have a conversation with you today. In fact, I did that with my doctor today. I knew I needed to have a conversation. I really thought a lot about it. So the first thing I said to him when he walked in the room, I said, hello, how are you doing? And I said, you know, I said, I really need to have a conversation with you today, either before or after the exam, whatever's convenient for you. And I need to have a conversation um, that talks about an action plan going forward and in order to do that, I need to revisit the past, and I need to be able to feel heard and understood. That's how I said it. And he was just like, he was surprised, but at the same time, he's like, okay, let's go for it. Let's talk. And so then I felt like I told him up front what I needed from the conversation, and then we had the conversation. So I felt then that I was being heard and understood. He didn't get defensive, and he really listened to my concerns. And then he was able to give me additional information that I really needed to help understand my situation. So really, that is your fieldwork assignment. Think about a difficult conversation you're going to have and start looking at what do you need to do to create an effective atmosphere. 
So I really enjoy you uh, um, coming on to the call today and listening. Um, the Texas Conflict Coach, we air every two weeks for anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes. So you can see we've already uh, gone over just a little over half an hour already. Our next show is actually going to be a special live show from San Diego. Yes, San Diego, California. I'm excited about the trip. I'll be, um, that will be May 27th. And because of the special trip and the live show, we're going to be doing it at a special time. So instead of 5.30, it is now going to be at 8.30 Central Standard Time. So that's May 27th. 8.30 Central Standard Time, that will be on the show page, and we'll be reporting live from San Diego. And we'll be talking about actually uh, working with group conflict and how do we facilitate and work in group conflict and the dynamics of group conflict. So I encourage our listeners to mark this show as your favorite by registering as a listener to BTR. Uh, Blog Talk Radio will then send you an automatic update to your email box reminding you of the next show time. You can also download the Texas Conflict Coach from iTunes. Listeners can also follow me on Facebook by typing in Patricia Porter, or you can follow me on Twitter, and that would be TX Conflict Coach. So on Twitter, that's TX Conflict Coach, Texas Conflict Coach. Again, my websites are www.conflictconnections.com or www.texas, and that's all spelled out, T-E-X-A-S, conflictcoach.com. So as we close, I want to thank you for joining us and supporting the show. I welcome your questions, comments, or feedback at my email address, P, M like in Mary, Porter, P-O-R-T-E-R, at conflictconnections.com. So this is your host, Patty Porter, the Texas Conflict Coach. And remember, embrace conflict early and constructively. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.